there's just an overwhelming amount of evidence that says that this is a real thing. It was another kind of like crack in my reality. I want to know if the government's still doing this. If that's true, what does that mean about the universe? Yeah, it is real. Wake up. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the very first edition of Debriefed. Uh, podcast. Uh, we're going to dive into basically the, you want to call it an investigation, um, of remote viewing, uh, which we just had. We had a, what is it, over a year-long journey at this point. Yeah. Took a little hiatus, um, but then we got back to it, and uh, we just, uh, you guys have probably seen you know all the uh, all the videos that we put up on this channel, and hopefully you've seen Nelson's videos as well on his channel. Uh, you know, which looks at a different part of remote viewing. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Nelson Delts. Hey everyone, thanks for having me. Um, so let's just dive right into it, guys. If you don't mind, uh, obviously subscribing, leaving a like, and uh, maybe leaving a review on the audio platform. It really helps out. Nelson Dellis, five-time U.S. memory champion. Let's start at the beginning. You were you were uh, hit up on Facebook, I believe? Yeah, so as part of this memory world, I'm a part of a few Facebook groups, um, you know, where we just post about championships and yeah. happenings in the memory world, as exciting as you may think that may be. Um, but anyways, people sometimes come out there and post really out there stuff, and sometimes you ignore it, sometimes you, you you read it. And this particular post, it wasn't directed towards me specifically, it was just for the group. And um, it was maybe a sentence or two saying something like, I'd have to look it up exactly, but it was basically, there's a job opportunity, um, part-time, make a little cash, um, doing something with your memory. Right. that vague not even talking about anything did other people respond to that from what i saw i didn't see any other responses no nobody had even commented on it maybe a couple likes so you don't know if anyone else was introduced to this or you would have known by now speaking to brett oh i know i know who else was involved and there was others yeah yep well oh did you so, hear about them oh yeah 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 and how did they <laughs> so well okay. how did they do so, oh, so i'm very i didn't hear about this yeah so I don't know how much I want to give because I feel bad uh, putting him into that world. But there is another well-known memory athlete mm. who was – there were two of us, it was me and this other person. I, I think maybe a couple other people went into the interview, if you can call it that. Applied, yeah. Applied or whatever or threw their hat in the ring. But uh, they, I think they had already said – I was. I probably was the first because I always answer to stuff like that. I'm just curious. Um, and that's what I did. I sent an email saying – or a DM and was interested and they called me pretty quickly um, and I think this other memory athlete was the second, and then they were good with two of us for right. this project. Um, but this other memory athlete is a top memory athlete. Uh, I won't tell it who it is. Um, but I will say that he is of a part of the world where they think a very certain way, and mm. it's hard to break that. A skeptic. Yeah, yeah. In the most skeptic, if you can think of any country – in the world where they might be that way and like nothing will change their so he's middle eastern no well no. i don't I, maybe I'm, I'm making the generalization <laughs> there's here, a lot but, of skeptics yeah. in the world but it's funny it, it, it I, I was surprised that he had done this uh -huh. but you know after and we would check in from time to time going through this program and uh be like what do you think is this real like have you had any hits and 
even Brett would say like, he's doing really well. Wow. Like, probably even better than me. But the memory athlete would just be like, oh, this is such bullshit. Brett's tricking me. Right. You know, our trainer, he's like switching out photos or right. I'm, I'm making it up in my head. And I, I talked to him maybe like half a year ago and he's, he doesn't do it anymore, but he still thinks back on it. It was just like, it was a horse of crock shit. You know, just yeah. Can't garbage. blame him for feeling that way. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's how I would think more than half the people, uh, you know, feel about this subject because they're, uh, uneducated. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you know, not to jump ahead, but going in to the places and speaking to the people that we've spoken to, you know, we've, I, I feel just healthier that we come to our own conclusions through this rather than uh, just dismiss it all entirely. And I feel like you're the same. So after this, um, you're doing this memory stuff for them. They train you every day for an hour for a month, five days a week, something like that. Yeah, it was pretty rigorous. I mean, the, the actual session was an hour a day, uh, five times a week, Monday through Friday for about a month, a little more. Um, and then we'd have to do these sessions. So there's homework, um, essentially. And that was that took some time. Um, so it was, it was pretty in depth. And then once that training session was over, we kind of graduated to doing the actual tasks for our employer. Right. Okay. And then yeah. based on those, so, um, to get a little technical, what you ended up doing with these people was something known as ARV, mm-hmm. which is different than remote viewing and different than CRV coordinate remote viewing. ARV is associative remote viewing and if if I understand correctly, it's a binary sort of system uh, to where you're essentially describing something and then you're presented with two pictures and whatever one that that is closer to will be the result. And on the back of that paper could be some information that you're not privy to and that maybe even the person giving you the photos isn't privy to, but that goes into a whole separate thing yeah. yeah 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 so basically you're doing a remote viewing session a little more stripped down of a remote viewing session only because you're going to take your results and have it judged um, ideally by somebody else um, but in some cases you can do it yourself if you have a good protocol um, but you judge what your results match better to photo a or photo b and on the side of the person who provides those photos for you they try to really choose photos that are really different um, just so that the judging is easier and there's really no um, way that you could be confusing one or the other when it comes to what you saw. Um, and then, you know, that uh, that binary choice, those two photos on the side of the task tasker, they basically associate one photo with the other uh, with some situation. And in our case, we were doing it with um, uh, trading and stocks, right? So photo A might be a stocks going up versus photo B going down. We do the remote viewing session. I say photo A, right? And then they would make a bet or a trade based on that. Right. And we were a team. So it was actually not just what Nelson got. It would have been what yeah. me and number two was, uh, the other memory athlete. And then they actually had another group and, of six And I'm people. sure if like those, uh, that information was conflicting, they might just not use it. And then if it was supportive, yeah. uh, if all the information that you were getting from these three uh, sessions were supporting, then that would be like a conclusive yeah, way to bet. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, based on what you get as, as a group, you, you pass, right? You mm-hmm. don't do anything. Uh, even sometimes my judging or 
my session would be worthy of a pass because it wouldn't be very convincing whether it was one or the other. Right. Um, and that's okay. And that's why having a team is so much more effective than just one person. Right. You know, let's say my stats say that I hit it right 55% of the time. Um, you know, as a group, you may have somebody that's closer to 60%, somebody mm. that's like 53%. Um, but as a group, you can get a better hit rate. And um, that, I think I that goes, uh, that goes for a lot of what they were doing you know, at SRI uh, back in the day as well, they had teams of remote viewing and would more often than not, you know, have multiple people come to the same conclusions, which really strengthened their resolve in, in, in whatever, exactly. in whatever uh, mission they were on. Yeah. So this is something that you've done. You've, uh, since then, since learning this now, now take us through, uh, I don't want to get into the specifics of this because yeah. there is NDA involved and there right. is everything else, but uh, this project ends. You're done with this. And you move on. You then started using this uh, for your own benefit to see if you can uh, win it horse racing and baseball games and, and yeah. sporting events and that type of thing. And how did that do for you? Yeah, it's still ongoing. Um, let me back up a bit because I feel like people would love to know whether I actually made money of from course. this. And the first project, yes, they paid me for my time. Um, it was all right. It was good for what it was. Um, and it had a cool story attached to it. In terms of the, when I started actually doing stuff for their portfolio, um, I was promised a back-end portion of the returns, but the project kind of fizzled out for some reasons I can't talk about. Hmm. Um, unrelated to the results or anything, it had to do with the people running it at the high levels. Um, so anyways, um, I didn't see anything from that. Okay, so I let that sit for a while. I still wasn't 100% convinced, but I was kind of on this quest for myself to like, is this real or not? Figure that out. And um, I started doing stuff with with casual day-to-day -day things that I go to. We have a horse racing track near our house, uh, so try it with some horse racing. I like to watch the NBA Finals and March Madness, so try it on betting on some games and stuff like that. And then I try to keep track of, of the results. Were you alone in this? Yeah. 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 Just so self-funded, not yeah. crazy money, just putting a little bit. I don't really like to gamble uh, for sports, but um, and I don't know anything about it. Yeah, uh, I'm not one of these guys that knows the odds of this and that. I don't understand it really. Um, so I have to learn a bit of that. But I started with the horse racing. One day I went to the track um, in Saratoga, and they have about 10 races in a day. Um, and each race, let's say has about 10 horses, give or take average. Sometimes it's more, sometimes mm -hmm. it's less. Some horses get scratched, whatever. Um, and I was basically going to see, can I predict the winner of the yeah. race, which isn't really a good, um, way to bet on horse racing. You got to do like, you know, the, the whole spread trifecta and the box this and that. I don't even right. Cause the, the more, the more things you bet on that are correct. The, uh, the more the more risk is involved, but the more payout is there. So exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, what I did, I, and I kind of consulted with my former trainer, what would be the best approach? And he said, Brett, just, Brett. Yeah. Just try something simple. Like try to view the, the color of the winner. Like oh, that's every horse yeah. has a saddle color, right? Um, it's depends on how many there are, but there's always like red, yellow, blue, green, green, yeah. exactly. Um, orange. Um, and if there's more horses, there's even more colors. Anyway, so I would do kind of like a mini session sometimes hmm. before the race, or I would just kind of be like, what color do I see? What comes to mind? The first thing I think of right. when I calm my mind, you know, be like blue. Okay, so I bet on blue um, to be the winner. And uh, that day, I went four for 10. 
which is statistically uh, very interesting. Yeah, it's it's because this isn't is this a 50-50 thing? No, so you if you randomly guess, say there's 10 horses, you would have a 1 in 10 chance of getting it right. right? You would you would have a 1 in 10 chance, right? Yeah. Cuz this isn't a 50-50, there's 10 horses. Exactly. Yeah. And so you got 4 yeah. Wait, four races, you guessed correctly? Correct. Yeah, yeah. That is yeah, yeah. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. And actually, I don't know if this really means anything. Maybe the statisticians out there can tell me, but nine out of the ten, I got a horse that placed. So that's um, – One, two, or three. Yeah, the what is it, the p-value of that? It's got to be pretty high. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, my friend, I, the math on stats, I'm, I'm bad, but yeah. – um, I know that in remote viewing, they've calculated p-value. Yeah. I think that's what it's called, Yeah, where you, you – there's this number – against all the variables that determines whether or not you know on this is one in a million or whatever it is and uh and that's something that they've seen with remote viewing time and time again and the reason they continued you know funding it yeah so yeah you made money from that yeah that day uh so i put 100 bucks in my account i think every game every, every game every race i bet like 10 or 20 bucks and i ended up ending the day with like 350 bucks because, and this this is where I realized that my approach, while interesting, may be the reason why you don't really see any millionaire remote viewers, or, or maybe there are, they just okay. don't talk about it, is, okay, if I did that approach and I'm seeing the winning horse, most times the winning horse is going to be the the favorite, right? Which is a right. not a great bet, right? You're going to win. Yeah, you, you won't win a lot. You, won't win, you might win, but you won't win a lot. What, some of the horses that you bet on, were they the favorites? So three of them were the favorites. And three of them that won were the favorites. Exactly. And, and the, the three of the four that I won. And I won a little bit, maybe a 20 bucks or 15 Yeah, you bucks. double your bet type yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. But then the fourth one was a, a, underdog. a, a huge underdog. And that's where you make the money, right? Yeah, that's, those, that'll pay 10x or whatever. Yeah. And that's where I think I won 200 bucks on that one. Wow. Yeah. So and it was wild. The ho- the race I have it on video. It's going to be in one of my videos. But he that horse came from behind. And I was just like, I'm not going to win. It was a weird color too. It was the gray saddle, which that came to me. I was like, gray? Like is what position? There was it was a big race of sure. like 13 horses, I think. And man, it came down the home stretch like from the back. To How the are you front. feeling in this moment, dude? I, the, the reaction. You on understood video, why people go to horse races like, in that moment. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that I saw that. Yeah. I remember we were eating Shake Shack. There's a Shake Shack at the track, and I was like, I'm gonna do my session. I was like, Gray, 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 Gray's coming to me. This is the one, <laughs> and it was the one. And and during the race, my wife was with me. She was like, Oh, sorry, buddy, it's not gonna happen. And then he came, and I was like, Whoa. Was she also getting excited? Yeah, we were. We, yeah, That's it was so crazy. cool. So uh, Brett Stewart, let's talk about the first person that we encounter in this journey. Uh, Brett Stewart, who claims to do this for a living. Yes. Which, you know, anyone out there wondering whether or not remote viewing is accurate, if someone can make a living doing this, I mean, that should be now. It is to be argued that perhaps he's got side hustles and maybe he teaches remote viewing on the side and that gives him some money. And and that's to be taken into account too. But from what he was telling me, he was telling me that he was getting like above 50%. Yeah. I think in the 60s. In the 60s. Right. And again, the p-value of that, if anybody could control uh, winning 60% of the time, you'd be a trillionaire. Yeah. Right? Because you could bet all your money all the time kind of thing and or half your money all the time and eventually just uh win money so he does this for a living which i thought was really interesting and so he's the one who's kind of guiding you in this betting process because this is his domain 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. He learned this from a guy named uh, Major Ed Dames. Uh, let's go down this road with Ed. <laughs> Good old Ed. Now, uh, you've have you read his book? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So I have as well his audio book. Uh, very interesting, and you know, it, it's. It, I, I suggest you guys go listen to it. It's, you know, if you take it as fiction, it is a great piece, and if you take it as fact, it is a great piece. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of how I view it. Um, controversial figure. Yeah. In the remote viewing space, um, and there's a few reasons why. One is because. If you've seen the movie Men Who Stare at Goats, uh, which isn't a great reference for any of this, but it is a terrible movie, but it is it has its moments. It's out there. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Spacey, uh, you had uh, Jeff Bridges. No, not Jeff Bridges. Who is it? Yeah, yeah. Was it Jeff Bridges? Jeff Bridges. Um, and George Clooney. And Ewan and McGregor. Ewan McGregor. And the Force and the Jedi and all those things. They must have met, the writers must have mentioned the Force and having Jedi powers like a hundred times. They had yeah, fun yeah. with it. But he plays the role of uh, Kevin Spacey. So Kevin Spacey plays a role of Ed Dames in all of this and kind of, uh, quote, unquote, the asshole of the bunch who is very – A villain. A villain who wants to have remote viewing powers but isn't the most gifted. Yeah. And who then takes control uh, once it was passed on to the Army Intelligence who takes control of the program. For a few years, it was only a f- like two years, I believe, right, two right, or three right. years, yep. and and this is during I think the passing of Ingo Swan as well, yeah, and so it is sort of bequeathed to uh, to Ed, and Ed sort of runs with this protocol, and then f- makes his own protocol based on Ingo's work, yep. and that's where there was a rift between uh, the other remote viewers, the scientists. And then Ed and his team, because Ed made this sort of protocol, this military, you can teach it to anyone, and it's just about practice. Exactly. All the things that we've learned, the things that we've done, which have worked. Yep. All right. We can't say they didn't work. They did work. We did get some incredible results. Um, so there's that, and then there's we'll get into the other stuff later, which is uh, where the scientists and Joe McMonagle and Hal Putoff and all of them, where they, you know, uh, how they see remote viewing. But let's talk about Ed for a second. Meeting Ed after reading the book, what were your first impressions? Right. Well, so going into the meeting, first of all, anybody else that I've talked to about remote viewing, the people in that space, you know, it started with Brett, Brett's. Uh, counterpart who hired me um and some other people i've met kind of in the esp sci world whenever i said brett they 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 didn't it's not that they didn't like brett but i think they knew it was associated with ed yeah and so there's always kind of like this stigma stigma against ed and his practices oh kind of controversial everybody would say that everybody yeah um i'm like okay dang i I learned from the wrong person maybe yeah (laughs) um and i don't know what that means you know like in the memory world there's some people that like yeah he's you know and it's like you don't really know the intricacies of what that means why um so yeah we sat down uh well we we i met him at the airport he was the kindest man ever uh took us around town was so happy to meet us and talk to us he claimed to be a, a hermit so i could see how he was very excited to yeah. Share with he us. get out very often. And get out and really, you know, mm-hmm. uh, let us know everything. And share stories of his childhood yeah. and everything else. It was yep. really pleasant. Yeah. So uh, nothing against the, the man. He was yeah. very pleasant. I enjoyed 
the the day and a half that we spent with him and the dinners that we shared. Um, but man, when we sat down to interview him and talk about the stories, you know, I walked out of that and I was just like, I don't know about this anymore. <laughs> yeah, it was bewildering. Um, it was again, just out there. Yeah, it was out there. And you guys can see that interview on Patreon, by the way. You know, I, I cut it short for the sake of the video. But if you if you have a look on Patreon, it's the full unedited version of Ed. And that if watching that gives you an idea of the conversations we had afterwards as well, uh, because it jumps from, you know, ultra terrestrials to Sasquatch to the ghost of dinosaurs, uh, you know, all these f fantastical things. And it's really hard for someone like us who's seeking, you know, part of me wants to believe this is real, mm -hmm. right? Same. Initially, I get into this and I'm like, I'm hoping. So there is a bias. And although you would think hearing someone like Ed would strengthen that bias, it actually works contrary to it. And yeah. it, it makes it I really, really like afterwards, after that particular encounter, I felt myself backing away a little bit in same. the other direction. Yeah. You had the same feeling. Yeah. And uh, however, you know, there were there were some really interesting things that he'd brought up and, uh, you know, talking about remote viewing aliens, which to me is, you know, endlessly fascinating because that's another thing I want to believe in. Sure, yeah. Um, but when it came to the practical remote viewing stuff, like he, he did a session in front of us, which again, really got nowhere uh, because he's like, oh, this is where this guy is yeah. right now. Right. I'm like, okay, I could have said he's in a field of flowers. And there's no way of disproving that. Right. And a lot of what Ed was telling us, even the stories, there was no evidence. I'm not going to say proof, but there was no evidence. There was not a shred of no evidence. Feedback no feedback. No feedback. Whether he was right or wrong. Exactly. That bugged me. Yeah. It, it bugged me uh, very much. He had some cool stories, like I said, but uh, we, you know, you just have to take his word for it. And memory is a tricky thing. Yeah. It uh, tends to not play in your favor when recounting you know, facts. Um, yeah. So, you know, we leave, we go, we go meet Ed. There's this whole, uh, this whole thing happening. It was interesting because on that day, it was June 16th. Mm -hmm. There was also something going around on Twitter, which was the, uh, the resonant frequency. Oh, that's right. Of the earth was at 50. Yeah. As opposed to being around 7.8 and 15, somewhere around there. And no one knew what that meant. No one knew if that was a solar flare or if that was a malfunction in the equipment. But it was uh, it was all the buzz on Twitter. Did you feel differently that day? I was just excited. But nothing out of the ordinary would have been like something's going on. It just mm. felt like a cool, interesting day where we were. Yeah. I we felt doing. more calm. Okay. And it was notable. Like enough that I noted it even before I knew. I was like, oh, I feel really good about it. Like I feel like in a good – and then I heard that it kind of like – yeah, Double yeah. down. I was like, oh, to this, you know, my <laughs> yeah. conspiracy mind took over. Yeah. Um, yeah, with, with Ed, you know, the thing that, like I said, that bugged me was everything, every session that he did and all the, like, things he was, the stories he was telling us about remote viewing sessions he's done, projects he's working on, were all about things that you can never verify. Yeah, you know, that bugged me. Where, you know, something to do with aliens and, sure. you know, what, happened a million years ago at this location like okay it's interesting yeah. his theories for them or whatever he sees and then how how 
certain he was. That was that was another that was red flag, much, right? There was no question he was wrong. Yeah, and, I, yeah. and everyone else was wrong, right? You know, and that to me is a red flag when. Yeah. You know, you're the person who thinks the whole world is crazy and you're not crazy. You know, the, the likelihood is that it's the opposite. Yeah. I'm not saying he's crazy, but I'm saying that the claims he had, he was so certain of that he didn't leave a margin for error. Yeah. And from what we found out afterwards, speaking to other people in the remote viewing, uh, you know, space was that there is a vast margin of error with remote viewing. Yeah. And that is notable. And scientists and physicists who study this will tell you it is not accurate. Yeah. It is not It is not accurate. But it is also not to be dismissed. Yeah. And that's kind of you know what led to the ongoing of the project. Yeah. So we wrap up this thing with uh, with Ed, which by the way, I want to you know thank Ed again. It was you know really it was fun to get both sides of yeah. remote viewing to get these crazy different edges of the spectrum and i think in the world of remote viewing i think more people would do a story on ed and then separately do a story on someone else to have them both in the same video For i sure. thought was really interesting yeah. well, one thing i want to say though when he did do his session i remember feeling really inspired by it same i watched it and doing his practice and i was like oh this is, i did too this guy's really in it like i want to do a session like i want to be like this um in the end, you know, he said that if you wanted to do a full session, it would have taken forty-five minutes, forty-five minutes or longer. The detail that he goes to, um, and I remember we walked out for a break, and I was like, "Wow, that's you know, it was really cool to watch him do that." Yep. Um, but then, you know, I, I it didn't go anywhere, so I was kind of let down a little bit. Um, but it looked like he was he was channeling something, do, channeling something. It also gave me a vibe of. Uh, when I was in Nepal interviewing this guy that claimed to be a natural memory guy. Oh, the, the speed reader guy. Speed reader. He could memorize a page just by blah, 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 and he'd yeah. read it, right? And he, I interviewed him. He did a demo, and I left feeling so perplexed and sort of inspired and not sure what to think. Um, and it felt like that, you know? Mm. And it, Not to say that Ed is a, is a con man, but it felt – I had that, like, he can he he confused me. He tricked me. Maybe I, I there's a little bit mm. of pizzazz there that he play. I don't know. I well, don't the, know. The difference is there's uh, what Ed's saying. There's no way of verifying it, right? And so it does let you linger in that space a yeah. little longer. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember actually during the session at one point he was smelling something. You kind of see him on camera, and he's like disgusted by what he's smelling. And before that happened, when he's picking up the smells, even before he was disgusted, I remember thinking to myself, pungent. I kept getting pungent. And then he said pungent. Yes. And I was like, oh, I was, I literally like my heart skipped a beat because I was like, this is what I was picking up. And I yeah. feel like we were, and I mentioned to him, he's like, oh, that's a normal thing. It happens all the time that people get, you know, the same feelings. And hey, maybe he's right. Yeah. I think yeah. he might be onto something. I forgot that part that, because I was over his shoulder filming and I remember like a millisecond before he would write something down, I almost felt what he was going to write down. It was right. a really Intuitive. weird feeling. Yep. So, uh, you know, we end, we end our time with, uh, Ed, you know, Ed, I, I, I get the feeling Ed, you know, thinks this whole documentary is going to be about him, uh, which maybe I didn't make it clear in the beginning and that was my fault that, it, you know, but I did tell him that we were going to be visiting other people, but he, uh, Ed wanted to get really deep into what it is he does. And if you guys want to check out what Ed does, because I do think it's interesting and I do think it merits more investigation because yep. obviously he trained Brett and Brett does this for a living and Ed claims he's got the best students in the country. Yeah. And you know, we learn from them and then we're seeing results. Uh, yeah. We're newbies to this. Listen, so there and, is something there. And he was a part of 
these projects. He was like, part of that's SRI. That's not a lie. That's yeah. real. So why would he be there if there wasn't something to what yeah. he's able to do? You know, correct. Yeah, he was read in. The other thing is, like, he, you know, he told me about the billet structure that he was read in. There were a hundred people read into this project only, which means that as soon as someone leaves the project or retires or whatever, they bring one more person in, and that number caps at a hundred. Uh, yeah. And so, very highly, highly classified. I can't stress this enough. This was one of the most top secret projects ever in the United States government that we know about. This is one of the top because you don't get top secret to that level and, and right. hear about it yeah. normally. So, you know, one of the more uh, notable uh, unclassified projects uh, ever in existence. So we ended our time with Ed. Uh, and and uh, during this time, um, I was reaching out. You know, I've reached out to Hal Putoff. I've reached out to McMonagall. We reached out to Pat Price, was it? Or Paul? Or Lindy Paul Cannon. Smith. Oh, Paul Smith. Lindy yeah, yeah, Cannon. Yep. So um, all these, we've reached out. You know, I wanted to get as much information as I could. Now this this brings us, we finished with Ed. Let's talk about Joe McMonagall. Uh, you know, we reached out to him online. Uh, Nancy McMonagall Scooter uh, responds, and you know she's super bubbly, lovely, full of energy. She happens to be Bob Monroe's stepdaughter of the Monroe Institute and was director of the Monroe Institute several times, I believe. Uh, Bob Monroe, who wrote Journeys Out of the Body, uh, which was a book about outer body experiences, and they do studies at the Monroe Institute about outer body experiences, astral projection, the Gateway Project, which is also... Uh, link to the CIA. Also, there's some declassified stuff there about us living in this hologram, and it's really crazy stuff. And uh, they, uh, Joe was actually, and I guess this is how he met Nancy. I didn't ask him, but uh, Joe was actually asked to go to the Monroe Institute to be studied by Bob, hmm. by uh, the DIA, I believe, um, the Defense Intelligence Agency. Uh, they wanted him to spend the long weekends uh, from Thursday to Sunday in Nellisford getting his, you know, his brain measured and doing all these tests. And he did this for 14 months. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he, you know, he said he found some significant um, studies that showed that out of body actually does work. But before we get into that, let's talk about meeting Joe. We go to his place, beautiful little town, and, and he invites us into his home. What are your first thoughts yeah you know i'd read a lot about him uh he's kind of like this mythical creature at the top of the remote viewing uh chain and uh there he was just sitting there um and from what i had understood is that he's hard to pin down for an interview yeah he refused so many interviews yeah it's funny when we walked in he's like he turns to nancy a scooter and he goes um see i had a good feeling about these guys (laughs) that made me feel so good when he said that yeah i was like wow you know i'm yeah. We're just two guys. I'm. I got tattoos and stuff. Sure. I like, you know what I mean. And, and we're coming barging in with these cameras. With and these cameras, not yeah. even professional. Like we no, just got our know. little, you know, dinky <laughs> DSLRs and stuff. Yeah. It's not some big TV thing. And yeah, he had a good feeling about us, and uh, we yeah. really got along. Yeah, and they were super welcoming um, and happy to basically let us do whatever we wanted. Yeah. Um, he showed us all around his house. So welcoming. He had boxes filled with cassettes of. His live appearances where he did remote over live. sixty live appearances on on TV, sixty live remote viewing sessions on TV. 
which is more than you can say for anyone else yeah. in the remote viewing space. And I saw that. I mean, I was just like, man, these need to be out there. Like, why yeah. does he have them here in this box? Like, I would love to digitize those and get those out. Because yeah, I'm working on that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working on that. I want him to uh, get somebody to do it for him. Yeah. But those, because he he did a TV show in Japan, which he touched on, where they had to find 24 missing people. This is so fucking wild, honestly. They had to find 24 missing people, and he ended up finding 12. That's insane. Insane. We're talking double blind. Yeah. He has no idea what he's looking for. He knows the person. Yeah. He had to, He describes the person. He has. It's so insane that like he's like, yeah. Did you guys know he was Korean? They're like, huh? They went to double check. Yeah, he was adopted by a Korean family. He now lives in Korea. This is outside of Japan. He's in this building on this floor in this room. Yeah. Show up with the cameras. They show up at the camp. There he is. Their yeah, brother's yeah. crying and they're all like, oh my God. Like that is yeah. crazy. And that's actually a verified thing. It's there, verified. The person. And they had them. skeptics on oh, the yeah. show. Trying to figure out how to. Trying to disprove him actively. Yeah. yeah. Like after the show, even going behind there looking like this is a trick. This is a trick. He knows something. How yeah. does he know anything about a missing person? Right. The missing person was brought to him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, so that was one of the most. Uh, so he showed us some of those sample sessions, and when I saw him, I was just I was like, "So where is this your final like debrief?" I was or, confused as well because it looked it was so like matter of fact. Here's the height, the name, uh, street the sketches, names, these the subway map he drew, and he's like, "No, no, this is my session." You know, and you compare it to the sessions we do, where it's like different stages. Yeah, we're like we're scribbles. like edgy, scratchy, uh, yeah. uh, uh, smells warm. Yeah, like all these. Yeah, know, he was things. like, no, this person is five foot nine. Their age range is between like uh, 57, 58. Yeah, <laughs> no margin. And of no error. like scratches off or nope. like side notes. It's all just like written there. So that was surprising to me. It told me like, okay, this person has a whole other game, whole other game, and a whole other process too, yeah. which I have never been shown yet. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that, that got me so excited. Dude, it got me excited, but at the same time, it's like seeing someone who's super talented in a field that you want to pursue and it kind of discourages you. That too, yeah. Where I'm like, <laughs> well, I'm going to fucking give up. This yeah, is yeah. this guy's way too good. And um, But you also, you're like, well, he's got a different technique. Maybe yeah, if I learn maybe that, I, I get learn better. That. That's right. Know? That's what I thought. And I'm interested to figure out what that technique is yeah. uh, in time. Uh, I hope it's not just feel it. Yeah. And just write what comes to mind. I hope there's more to it than that. There probably well, is. Here's the thing. Uh, here is the thing. Because I think speaking with Ed, I have to also... Uh, speaking with, um, sorry, Joe, I have to also speak about Dr. Ed May. Okay. Uh, who was, who is still the chief you know, researcher and physicist and scientist behind remote viewing still to this day, still studying. And he was a, He's 83 a monitor, now. right? He was uh, he was the uh, senior uh, scientist at SRI, wow. yep. so he was up there. They had to, uh, I mean, the, the the scrutiny that they had to that they had to build to really study this because they are. You have to understand, like you know, Joe can have his stories, and Ed, uh, you know, Ed Dames can have his stories, but this is a physicist. Yeah, this is someone who was hired to study it. And to be skeptical, to be the most skeptical, and to create the protocol yeah. that needed to be put in place in order to measure this properly, statistically, scientifically. Yeah. Uh, and, and we're talking everything from numbers, from them measuring their brain waves to everything, to remote viewing in submarines. Like they tested it 
to no extent. Like there's so much work on this stuff. Yep. You know, uh, Joe even jokes about there's more studies on this than there is about aspirin, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I thought was interesting. And so they put together, Ed uh, was asked, was tasked to put together, first of all, they had to uh, let's start with the remote view, the remote viewers. They reached out to 600. This is from Ed. Uh, they reached out to 600 people. And these weren't random people. So these were like Mensa level, uh, some of them. So geniuses. Other were in uh, CIA intelligence. And so really smart people. people. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Autistic even. uh, They would go there. So they they made a group. And out of those 600, um, Ed said there's only 1% that has notable psychic ability. Interesting. And so they, I think, whittled it down to like 10. But even now, if you speak to Joe and if you speak to Ed May, they'll tell you there's like four or five okay. that are really good. Right, Joe was saying that. Yeah. yeah. And you want to know the interesting thing that you didn't hear? Because you're like, okay, what do they have in common? Because they look for all the commonalities. Oh, sure. The only commonality. Yeah. Very significant. They all had synesthesia. Oh, wow. Each one of them. Did Joe have... I believe we talk so. About that? I, we didn't, didn't talk, talk about it, but Damn, this is what Ed May said. That. They all do. Wow. And not even like a light form of synesthesia, like straight up hearing uh, colors and yeah, yeah. seeing sounds and shit like that. Wow. So this is, uh, so I'm like, well, that's something that you guys can look for. And I was like, absolutely. He's Crazy. like, that is, uh, it's not something they planned out and it's just something that happened that way. Um, I, I have a close friend in, in uh, the memory world who has, a very significant synesthesia. I should ask her if she has any. Ooh, you know that would be because I was talking about in memory how I have a trained synesthesia essentially for That's like true. numbers and things like that, but it's not natural. But for this memory athlete, she has it. Mm. She's always had it. You know. Uh, so, so there's another there's another portion of this that might be tough because does she sort of have this automatic memory? She is amazing. Uh, one of the best at say words and names and others, but those are so natural for her. Sometimes when you ask her like, "What's your technique?" and and you hear her talk about it, and it's kind of what I do, but on another level where it's automatic. Like, You're not really doing anything. Yeah. You're just being you. <laughs> they, and it's uh, frustrating, right? So, you, you, well, I mean, yeah. Ed had mentioned that those make terrible remote viewers. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, he had uh, this guy who is like the best memory guy. He did like 30,000 okay. digits of pi, 35,000 digits. You might know him. Is it Daniel Tammet? I uh, could be. Because I reached out to him recently because I want to talk yep. to him physics stuff. And he that was the first name he threw at me. And I know a lot about Daniel Tammet. He's he's a, he's a bit of a con artist. Oh. Um, I wonder if that's him. I know he memorized a lot of digits well, to that extent. So maybe the, that's This him. person was autistic or on the spectrum. Is that, that's the guy. Okay. Yeah. So Asperger's, right? Ed, yeah, yeah. Ed. Um, you tested him? Yep. Ooh. And they said no good. The thing is, there's some stuff about him, mm-hmm. uh, whether he was, well, I don't think there's any argument over whether he was on the spectrum or not, but yeah, they, whether he was using memory techniques or having a natural ability was oh, I see, largely I see. in question. Um, he's, so, he's mentioned at the end of Moonwalking with Einstein, if you oh, want to go back and reread. Yeah. Uh, the, um, so the, the problem that he found with uh memory athletes not memory so i don't think he knows the difference between a memory athlete and someone who has like photographic Got memory it. okay 
uh, because I do think it's that's like a condition you have, like uh, when you're on the spectrum and you have this sort of photographic memory. Yeah. Um, but most people don't know that memory athletes are just average people who practice. But what they found is that they're very front loaded. Mm. The overlays are insane with people uh, with like this automatic uh, memory because they will recall so many things. I see. And so as soon as you feel something or it maps to it maps something, to something. Right? Yeah, it, it jumps yeah. on this neural pathway and you get yeah. an image. And so you right. become immensely front loaded. Got it. Okay. And that was a so problem. It's hard right to kind of block out that. Right. Which is not what you which is not what you have. And and that's what I was trying to explain to Ed, but I don't think he really understood. I think for okay. him that's a whole no memory people are bad <laughs> at it, but okay. uh I, I don't think most people understand you know uh, what memory athletes are, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's maybe he doesn't understand and you know. Yeah. Um, I'll have to ask him more. Yeah, so that was, uh, you know, we talked to Joe about all this. He, he, you know, he mentions all sorts of rigorous training and, and you know, military guy, man. These guys, oh, yeah. they get up at four in the morning and they're like, you know, working for 12, 14 hours a day, seven days a week and and all for, you know, progress and, and, and uh, being studied. And, and some, stress, you right? Know, we talked about a lot about the stress mm, of that job um some of the tasks they have to do just weighed so heavily on them yeah some of them quit a lot of them quit most of them quit yeah yeah. uh they couldn't handle the stress i mean uh the stress and what we mean by stress isn't just remote viewing under pressure it's a lot of times being being taped being videoed being monitored by you know dod by you know dia by all these three-letter agencies that you know you're, you're speaking about your career yeah. your job safety, you know, and, and the fear of missing a target or not being accurate, you know, yeah. is linked directly into the fear of losing your job. Yeah. So it must be definitely a high stress environment. All, all while doing something that is ridiculed. Yeah. And, and, you know, like you have that pressure, right? You can't kind of talk about it or you don't want to talk about it because you'd be laughed at. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's tough. Uh, I asked Ed May, um, in the interview, I was like, you know, is this, I had to ask, you know, is this, what, is this real? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you, th- and he says to me, he's like, let's say you're a chef and you have, I love physicists by the way, cause they, they fucking dumb it down for me. <laughs> you know, they're so smart. They're yeah, like, yeah. oh, here's your reading level. Um, he goes, let's say there's, you're a chef and you're opening this restaurant. You have 19 seats and First night, you open the restaurant. It's a great success. 19 people. Okay. Great. Second night, 17 of those 19 people return. Is that a success? Yeah. Yeah. Gold oh, yeah. star. Oh, yeah. Well, there are 19 of these intelligence agencies in the United States. Okay. 17 of them came back oh, yeah. time and time again. Yeah. Uh, they came back up to close to 500 times total with individual um, missions, yeah, we'll yeah. say. Uh, he so wanted that, that, that delicious dessert again. He has a know? graph <laughs> of all the agencies, how many times oh, they came back each. Cool. And now 99% of all of these missions are still classified. Okay. But he showed me the graph, which is interesting. And the DIA came back 172 times for individual missions, not including the times they came back for the same missions. They loved their work, what they were doing. Huh. And part of that was... I, I believe it was like finding uh, drugs 
uh, coming off boats. <laughs> and the remote viewers were just really good at it. And yeah. I guess, again, it speaks to like the entropy of like maybe the product that was on board or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and they could clearly see it. So they came back 172 times because they were like, yep, this works. And they love it. And it's cheap. Yeah. Right? Super cheap. You need paper and a pen. That's CIA, it. like once or twice. FBI once or twice. Uh, but then, yeah, the, you had all these other agencies so many times. Very interesting. Um, all right, let's get back to Joe a bit. Joe, you know, takes us through his home. Lots of, uh, you look through his home, lots of like um, Asian inspiration. He spent a lot of times overseas, uh, you know, in working in Japan. I, I believe in like Vietnam also. And so heavily inspired by like Buddhist and Asian culture. Uh, we got to look at his bookshelf. We got to look at all this stuff, which is really cool. Um, do you recall any of the remote viewing sessions that he had or like stories he had related to remote viewing? Yeah, I mean, the big one was, and this was after he, we were talking for like an hour and a half already. And, you know, he's telling me normal stories that were very believable. Uh, and then, you know, at this point, I, I'm i like, I'm in, you know, this. Yeah. I trust this guy. I have a good feeling. Like, I can't imagine this guy's making any of this up for that mm. he's not able to do what he's talking about and then he loads us with this uh remote viewing session he did where he viewed mars a million years ago yeah <laughs> and uh, you know it's you think okay well i just believed everything he said so i probably have to believe this too yeah you know um and you, you talk about on your other podcast a little bit if you want to yeah i saw. also um there is a video or there will be a video out on it uh, that I'm making individually oh, on nice. this channel. It so I don't know if, it. yeah, but this is it here, the Mars exploration. Oh yeah. Um, and what's interesting about this is like Nelson mentioned, um, he showed us sessions that were highly accurate. Actually, before we get into this one, let's talk about the session where he followed the agent. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, he was tasked to find the location of an agent right. for one of these intelligence uh, agencies. And the agent would be at three different locations. And I mean, it is, okay, maybe let's back, let's back even further. When Joe was entered into this project, let's talk about this. Yeah. He had to do a test right off the bat. Oh, right. Six, yeah. uh, five remote five. viewing sessions. He scored a one out of four, that's how they measure it. They have one, two, three, four, four being nothing, three being maybe, two being okay. Pretty close. Uh, pretty close, like you're in the vicinity, one being dead on. Yeah, yeah. And so most of the times you would find it between the two and four range. Joe scored four number ones. They'd never seen it to this day, had never yeah. seen anything like it. Yeah, yeah. And, and you have to understand what that means is that these physicists are testing, these scientists are testing Joe, and they make no distinction between what Joe is seeing and what the target is. Right. That is the number one. Yeah. It is not, oh yeah, it's kind of, it is one for one. Yeah. That is remarkable. After Joe did that, he tanked. Yeah, he had like what? 20. 20 to 30. Yeah, sessions. Bad sessions. That were just terrible. He was even beaten up on himself and everything else until he had this other session where he got this headache and this loud uh, sound and yeah. then it was an alarm and- he got right back into it. So it's something about confidence, too, that speaks in. He wrote a whole paper about that. Uh, but then they had that. And uh, to jump back to Ed during this time, Ed was tasked, I think, with another with other people in, in creating a team of scientists who would study, who would uh, actively try and disprove this. 
there were a dozen of them. And these are people, highest researchers in their field, uh, in, in physics and all of this, right? Yep. Just really, really smart people who had to come up with a protocol. And that protocol was like, hey, you have to do this under these conditions or else we can't measure it. And they did that, and they you know, continued studying it for two decades because it was so riveting. He haven't even had people come in and try and disprove it, and he said, hey, if you can disprove it, um, the guy, one, one guy, like, like one of the smartest geniuses that this guy knows, like a Nobel uh-huh. winner or whatever, uh, he goes, you know, I think this is all bullshit. And uh, he's like, I know. He's like, all right, I'm going to study this. I'm, I'm going to look into it for like a year. And if... Um, and then Ed May says, if you convince these other 12 people that this is bullshit, I will retire happily and I will work for you. We will study whatever you're working. And he goes, okay. And he's like, no, no, that's not all. If you work with these 12 people for the next year and find that there's something to this, you got to work on this project. And he's like, deal. <laughs> to this day, yeah, the guy works on this project. Oh, he does? Okay. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, so really interesting little tidbit of information. But it just shows you the absolute rigor that these, and this has to be emphasized. This isn't up in the air. This isn't us sitting at our desk doing a little session. This is like closed room, double blind. Uh, We're going to look hard and long at these sessions. And they they even had a structure for um, what was really interesting. They called it a fuzzy set and a clear set. Oh, okay. And so a clear set would be, if you were to name all the countries that had a million or more people, all the cities that had a million or more people, you could name those. Mm-hmm. But then you're discluding all the ones that might be one short yeah, because it wouldn't be clear set if they were one short. And so there has to be a way of measuring that too. Yeah. That's what they call a fuzzy set. Fuzzy set. Okay. And so they had to figure out a way of measuring the intangible or measuring you know, the subjective. And the way they did that was the monitor would then ask the remote viewer and look at the drawing, let's say, and he would say, what portion of the drawing is a building? Okay. What percentage of the drawing is a building? And how accurate is this to a building? So if it was this with windows, it might be 80%. Okay. But if it was just this, it's like 20, 30%. Okay. Right? So they they would have, they would be tasked, the monitor would have to be tasked on describing everything and going through it and being uh, like, yeah. is this, this? That's is... a lot more rigorous than I, I yeah, would imagine. Yeah, exactly. And then they would have a number, 70%. It was this. Uh, and then they would measure that up against the target itself. Okay. And, yeah. and, and even like, uh, w- like what portion of the paper does it occupy and like things like that. Cool. So very rigorous and very, uh, very much they wanted to actively disprove it. That was their job so that they could continue their research, you know? And uh, you don't want to be a scientist, a physicist, pretending. Right. What the fuck is that? Yeah, yeah. For 20 years? Right. Can you imagine having a doctorate at Harvard or whatever, winning a Nobel Prize or whatever it is, and being and just, like, like turning a blind eye and being biased? Like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, on one level, I, I can understand maybe in academia, you know, you've studied mm-hmm. something for so long, what it's going to be hard to shift those people uh, to shift your worldview you know you might stand by your results yeah, but these are these but... are these are people who were skeptic they had to be skeptic uh-huh. okay. and they had to have an open mind so yeah, those yeah, are the yeah. two factors that yeah, they had yeah. to have but i was going to say ultimately for me when i the reason i studied physics was because i wanted definite answers about the world yeah. in a very scientific way so yeah. 
as a physicist, I feel like that's what you're after is yeah. is the right answer. And you know, the, the evidence and the way you study it is going to be what you base those. But somebody who's who's got a degree in, let's say, psychology, you know, it could be argued that the last thing they want to do is go into parapsychology because it feels, yeah. it sounds a little, yeah, it's you got know, the giggle, giggle factor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but it's uh, there. I think one person who I'd have to go back in the interview, but somebody who uh, studied this parapsychology the most was actually like the head of the psych psychology institute mm. in England or whatever it was, and. And so, like, very credible people in, in psychology world studying parapsychology because there is something there. Yeah. Um, okay. So, we get through all this. It's clear as day that uh, that Joe McMonagall has absolute talent and a gift. Um, he is then asked to follow these three agents and uh, describe their whereabouts. And the agent... The, the descriptors and the drawings are fucking crazy accurate. Uh, the first one, he's seeing this... He doesn't even know how to describe it because it's so complex. And it happens to be... Uh, a, uh, what do you call it? A collider or a... Yeah. Was it an accelerator? Accelerator, yeah. Particle accelerator. And so he just literally says, particle accelerator. Because <laughs> it was so complicated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's how accurate this guy is. Yeah. Secondly, says he's in a field somewhere. There's a lot of hills and there's a wind turbines in some type of valley. And and the third one, he's in a T-shaped building at the very top floor with his feet up on the desk. And we'll call it the A building, he says. And so they get the first result back. He was indeed in the Stanford um, science vicinity in a particle accelerator in the room of a particle accelerator so dead fucking on second one and we have a session uh second one he was in fact in the middle of a field a bunch of wind turbines in uh northern california southern california one of those and the third he was in a t-shaped building and the top floor with his feet on the desk and this building was called the a building and these are <laughs> this is fucking insane to me yeah yeah, yeah. You know, and a lot of that has to do, uh, which he said again, was like uh, the production of energy, which makes it come through stronger. Again, that entropy. Yeah. Uh, so like the windmills and the, yeah, the, uh, the generator. Yeah. yeah. And so that, and so he, we see the evidence of that. We see the, I've spoken to Ed who confirms this, uh, Ed May, and we see his sessions. So we know that this is evidence. Yeah. This is Credible evidence. Now he talks about Mars. Right. <laughs> That's where we get fucked up. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it, he was the first to say that this is, you can't verify it. And he hates those targets. I like that about Joe, that he yeah. said that. He doesn't like to do this. Where Ed... That's all he did. That's all he does. He's yeah. like, where's the Holy Grail? Yeah, exactly. I'm going to find it. <laughs> yeah. um, so that that was interesting um, that he felt that way. Um, but yeah, it basically he's talking about how there, he was seeing these pyramids again. He's double blind. He doesn't know that he's seeing Mars a mil million years ago. Pyramids with these ten foot tall beings um, who look like us. Look like us. They're inside the pyramids, preparing for something, mm -hmm. right, to leave or something like They're, that. They're uh, in a in a hibernation chamber, okay. um, is what he called it, so that they can sort of weather out. It's like almost like shelter you from the storm. Yeah, and uh, waiting on someone to return. Yeah. Uh, so they're kind of like biding their time 
because their planet is dying. Yeah, that right, is like right, the feeling yeah. you got. He even said the sun looked weird. Yeah, yeah, right. And yeah. then the the monitor who was possibly Ed at this point was like, "Don't." Oh no, it was Bob Monroe. It was Bob Monroe uh, because Bob Monroe was. It was the Department of Defense, DOD, that had a target. Yeah. That brought it to Bob Monroe, folded it, put it in his pocket. Bob Monroe did not see this, and Ed was in one of these pods getting rest after one of these long, you know, uh, sessions that he was doing, like a remote viewing, you know, in, in astral projection, all this. And then, so he's in this state of, you know, here or there. Uh, and then he, you know, sees the target. And it's, again, he's, this is double blind. So Bob doesn't know, Ed doesn't know what the target is. Or Bob doesn't know and Joe doesn't know. Right. And he's, all he's given is geographical coordinates. Now, one would assume that geographical coordinates would be on Earth. And I'm sure that's what he is. He didn't assume otherwise. Right. There was no reason for him to assume otherwise. He has this, uh, he, he's given the coordinates. There's a set of coordinates, maybe five or six. And one at a time he's asked to describe. And I have the transcript here, which I pulled off the CIA website, uh, which are declassified right now. What's, what's really crazy is that it's really hard to find things on that website. And is that, it? Okay. Yeah. I've never Everything's, explored. Oh. Uh, and this is, a, this is what Joe said. Joe said they would, he's like, oh, you want all the information? Perfect. And they'd scramble all the papers and, <laughs> and be like, yeah, it's disseminated now, but good luck you figure it fucking out. putting it yeah. together. And so it says here, method of site acquisition, sealed envelope coupled with geographic coordinates. Okay. Uh, the sealed envelope was given to the subject immediately prior to the interview. The envelope was not opened until after the interview. In the envelope was a three by five card with the following information, the planet Mars, Time of interest, approximately 1 million years BC. Selected geographic coordinates provided by the parties requesting uh, the information were verbally given to the subject during the interview. This is crazy that that's like, this is a real- This is the real session. Real session. Yeah, given by Bob Monroe. And it doesn't say who. So when I read this online, which, uh, I mean, you know, you find this online, you're like, this is really interesting and some TikTok video talking about it. But then there's no way of knowing who did this session. Mm. And I think uh, Joe mentioned in his book, and I was like, wait, that's Joe? And it just gave more credence to it yeah. in my mind. And so, you know, um, we'll go watch that video if it's up about that. But he he explains, yeah, these, these hibernation chambers um, and these beings and the sun being weird and these giant pyramids. Yeah. Uh, he's saying you could fit three of the Giza pyramids inside. Right, massive ones. Um, which is... So crazy. And he was, he kept wondering, he's like, is this new discovery? He kept saying. Yeah, he like couldn't something. understand how this was actually being. Yeah. Where was this on earth? You yeah. Know, like. And um, it's funny because at the end of this session too, it talks about them getting into a giant metallic ship, going to another place, which has different vegetation and all of this. And you assume it's earth. Yeah. Just yeah. wild. Uh, Joe doesn't talk about that in our interview. He kind of like, because I think his memory's a little hazy on it. Mm-hmm. He recalled what he could. Uh, but it was just so fascinating to hear that because once he saw this, he was like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. Like, that is crazy. Yeah. And his drawings and everything. Like, I mean. The drawings are. Again. So you, detailed. This could have been a soccer field. Right, right. It, yeah, it yeah. Could, could have been anything. You know, and for him to be like, the sun looks weird. Oh, there's like these beings. And we're talking about Mars, dude. Come on. Yeah. Come on. 
And then you see the, the I, I don't know how, I, I didn't quite understand this, the, the photos he showed us of actual Mars surface where there was some object that looked like a, a pyramid. Yeah. Was that, so he does this session and then they- I'll go grab him if you want to keep talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically there's, um, yeah, it's, these are actual, if, if you all remember, I think it was in the early 2000s, there was this famous face on Mars uh, photo and it looked like somebody's face on the surface, right? And then I think later on, NASA gave other pictures that said, hey, it's not actually a face. If you look at it at this angle, it looks nothing like it. It was just the way it was taken. But Yeah, they did some, have different angles. But there was some question about whether that was doctored or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, his um, book, by the way, Stargate Chronicles, Memoirs of a Psychic Spy. Highly encourage you to check it out or on uh, Audible. Uh, um, so... So my question was, were these photos part of the session like no. did, was this was the target that he was given tied to that photo or not necessarily the they found that after him or? being a spy yeah took these coordinates and went straight to nasa oh uh, okay and said i want these photos of mars with these coordinates okay and he was given those photos so the coordinates are there this is oh, what yeah, he remote viewed yeah okay um so he was re he was remote viewing the the location and place that they told him but there, there's actual photos of that place. Yes. So these are. Uh, where are these from? Like 2004 or something? Uh, no. This was this was way earlier, actually. Well, no, these satellite images. Oh, the satellite images. Uh, good question. I feel like they're fairly recent. I mean, in the last like, no, 20 they, years. I maybe I'd have to I'd have to look into it. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't want to say anything because I don't yeah. know. Um. So this is like his drawings. Yeah. Which, again, you look at that and he's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, these are a bit upside down. I wonder why he collated them. It's like, uh, this is for his book. Oh, okay. He gave us those copies. Yeah, he's gonna give us like a photocopy. I know. <laughs> and then the beings here, like he's drawing for size, an yeah. actual human versus this other ten foot tall being. Look at these structures. Yeah. He said this was a collapsed building. Mm. Uh, and you look at here. There's like even, like canals. Yeah, and right, this right, this right. this uh vert this lengthy structure here, yeah. Uh, more structures here. This is kind of what he was seeing here. Yeah. And this, if you look at this and this, look at those two. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's crazy. And and, the, and that one um, pyramid photo, the shadow is. Yeah, we'll look at that. We'll look at long. that one next. I think which is this one here, which is that. Uh -huh. But then we have this one, this notable one. Which is very notable because you can see that there is this giant crater and beside it is this mountain, which arguably could be a pyramid. Um, he asked the NASA guy, he's like, anything, first of all, he's like, how deep is that crater by the shadow? And he says about 3,000 feet. Oh, right. You can see the shadow of that. Yeah. Yep. And so by measuring that 3,000 feet and now looking at the shadow, which goes off page, by the way, of this other pyramid, which is like, could measure like up to two inches, you have to assume this is a massive structure. Massive structure. He even asks, he's like, how big is that? And the guy goes, really big. <laughs> and then Ed, uh, Joe, I keep saying Ed, I get mixed up. Uh, Joe says, um, that's an impact crater. Anything that would have impacted that would have destroyed any structure beside it. True. Yeah. And so he goes, what is it? And the guy at NASA goes, 
it must have grown. And that was his answer. Built. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then obviously the uh the faces of Mars, where's that one? Is that is that the one? That's this one here. Yeah, the top here. Yeah. Yeah, you got that mask looking thing with the shadow across it. So really, really cool stuff. Uh here, wow. by the way, is um he was so I was shown the photograph of an individual and told that he's currently working on a technical site somewhere in the continental United States. I was asked to describe what he was working on. So this is subsequent to uh, visualizing the agent's location. Yep. And now they're like, well, what is the agent working on? And uh, <laughs> this is, I mean, have a look at it for yourself, dude. Yeah, it's, it's wild. Yeah. I remember looking at this and being... One of the things about Joe is like his, he's an artist. Um, oh, that's true. Yeah. So his sketches are so detailed. Mm. Like they make our sketches look like. Yeah, like we we're have, children. Like we have mental. Yeah, problems. absolutely. 100%. <laughs> but I just like, how do you come? I don't know how you get to a place where you can draw such specifics. And and like you said, don't scribble anything out. And there's no like question mark, maybe. No, it, it's no like, racing. It's yeah. just first go. And if you look at some of the some of the things he has here, like like he has this beam going out and he says a wave front emitter. Literally, a beam with a wavefront emitter, uh, sensitive to more specific elements of wavefront effects, and then um, measurements, uh, shock waves. It measures shock waves, velocities, heat, uh, and that type of thing. So it's this like this big cone that is like an emitter, and it's made to measure things. And that's exactly what it was. Yeah, it's wild. It's exactly what it was. Here's some kind of gun. Yeah, and this is what it like. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> but I, 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 I haven't. Out of all the remote viewing stuff I've read and seen, I've never seen anything like his. Yeah. Um. So I, I, I think he is a special case. I do. Um, like you said, there's like four or five of them there, like yeah. this, that are at this level. Yeah. But I don't think that that means that nobody else can do it. I think we all. That's true. Because what did he say? He said he was like right eighty percent of the time. Is that what he said? What, uh, yeah, eighty percent accurate, and I think what he meant by that was eighty, like when he's right. Uh uh-huh. He's eighty okay. percent accurate. His information is like yeah, eighty percent there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but what Ed May said, uh, the the chief scientist, he said that because he showed me two sessions, uh-huh. one from Joe, and one from a lady. I want to say her last name is Ford. I don't remember her first name. Nancy Ford. Nancy Ford. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, she was extremely gifted yep. as well and showed me one of their most memorable sessions each. And they were just crazy. Uh, they had Joe sort of what they do is really interesting. They put, they cut these ping pong balls in half, put them on your eyes okay, and shine a bright red light. Oh yes. I've heard about this. Yeah. And static in your ears, like yeah. a low kind of static. What's the name of this? There's an effect, right? It's yeah. I I, I don't know what, what the name of it is, but I I know that uh, what he said is that eventually you just see black, uh-huh. and you don't hear the sound, because our brains are wired to detect change, and so when something is sort of because there there's humming and buzzing all around us all the time, we kind of tune it out. Yeah. Same same with your vision, and same with like touch and every other sense. If there's no change and it's sort of consistent, you just get used to it. Yeah. Once you hit that state that's when you're kind of in between. Um, so he would he would tell Joe... In between what? In between awake and asleep. Got, okay, yeah, yeah. He would tell Joe, um, look, look to your left and right shoulder like this. And they would be measuring his brain activity. 
and his brain activity, it would show that he's doing this. But in reality, he's doing this, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so he's like, all right, got it. You know, he's doing this. And they said, uh, Joe, we want you to get out of your body, uh, go into the next room. In the next room, we put an envelope on the wall. I want you to open that envelope, look in the envelope, and just, uh, just draw what you see. And he's like, all right. And uh, he goes, you know, for the life of me, I can't find the envelope. It's like, so instead, kind of like Dorothy, click my heels, and I want to be where the photographer was when he took this photo. Mm. And he ends up doing that and describing an image. And it is one for one. It oh, is wow. uh, this field. He even writes uh, the Rockies, okay. which it was in, uh, a little barn or a house, a path, trees, and mountains in the back, and it is like one for one wow yeah so it was the rockies yep oh okay wow. yeah he said rockies are alps okay but it was the rockies um you know so so through through a different method but seeing this but you know just again seeing that and then i was like how many of these sessions are this accurate yeah. with these specific people and he said 20 percent. interesting which is insane when you think about it yeah one in five well, with that, that amount of accuracy. Five and 20, yeah. that it's a dead-on match yeah. is worthy of looking into. For sure. Yeah. Because, the again, the p-value of that must be insane. Um, you know, he could have drawn anything. Yeah. And he was that accurate. And, again, it wasn't like he didn't draw a big barn, a couple trees around, and mountains in the background. It was yeah. literally to scale, you yeah. know. the when, when they're right, they're right. Yeah. They're, like, dead-on. Crazy. Really, really uh, intriguing stuff for sure. Um, I do want to. I, I, how, how I don't know. All right, we still got a bit more time. Okay. Um, what we're gonna do is, I do want to save a story for the Patreon. Yeah, yeah, I know. The story. You know the story I'm talking yeah, about yeah, for sure. All right, we can get into that. It involves it's juicy. It involves aliens yeah. and it involves UFOs, uh, and it has to do with remote viewing. And we can talk all about all that stuff in the Patreon, um, but I think we're gonna we're gonna call it here for our first episode of Debriefed, dude. So honored to have you on. Honored to be a yeah. part of this journey with you. It was an awesome. Uh, I'm so glad that we. I was on the Bob and mentioned remote viewing almost as a joke in passing because I thought you'd be interested, but I didn't realize it would lead to this rabbit hole. Yeah, and I, I think we're not done with this. No, it's it's an ongoing quest. I think we're at a high, and we're still. We're still trying to explore. Yeah. Um, definitely check out his video that he's got coming up or it's out already uh, about remote viewing and his experience and everything. I, I look forward to seeing it and uh, hearing your thoughts as someone who's, you know, studied physics, who's just, you know, grounded. It's just I'm so extremely nice. skeptical of everything. So <laughs> I'll let you know. So How about a time to mention that at the end of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> I should have started with that. But, I uh, mean, I think, I think they assume that, yeah, yeah. you know. They're not. Uh, they're not here if they're skeptical. Put right. it that way. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. But anyways, thanks for having me on the show. Thanks, thanks for uh, thanks for being, being here, Nelson. Uh, guys, don't forget to subscribe. Check out our Patreon. Uh, the Patreon. You know, we, I'm putting a lot of stuff out there. I've got already. I think in the moment, probably a dozen videos, uh, and you get access to the secret Discord as well, where we talk all about uh, these things and share, you know, inside information, behind the scenes stuff. So I do appreciate you guys. Hanging out, and uh, we'll see you on the next debriefed. Peace.